Welcome to I Caught It on Audio. This is 64 Tacos Book Club Episode 9, Doom Part 4. Hello and welcome to I Caught It on Audio. Today we are doing our 64 Tacos Book Club podcast. This is the fourth episode in which we're talking about the Frank Herbert sci-fi classic, Dune. Uh, We're going to cover the second half of book two, and I'll start us off with a brief uh, summary of events in this section. A child man, Paul, and his weirding mother, Jessica, were found by Stilgard and the Fremen. Stilgard's hands taste Jessica's loveliness. Uh, (laughs) Paul Paul meets the elfin-faced Chaney. Paul and Jessica go with the Fremen. Paul kills Jameson in the hot blood of a knife fight and selects the name Paul Madib. Paul does not want the water distilled out of Jameson's body. The Fremen take things from the bulging sack at Stilgard's feet. Paul sings a love song to the girl child, Chaney. Um, 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 um. Spade Ralpha puts poison on a long blade. Jessica takes my body, my choice to the extreme, and Paul continues to give moisture to the dead. Matt, do you have a question to start us off with? Okay, uh, yeah. It doesn't have chapters in the book. It- <laughs> No, and my Still. library book got returned, so oh. I ended up buying the audio book. Oh, so oh you, you I could have still just, be a part. You could have just re- renewed it. Yeah. Have, like, oh no, copies. there were there were all the copies were gone. I tried renewing it. Oh. And, I was able to renew it just as I went to bed last night. They're like, "Oh, the book you reserved is free." Okay. Great. Well, you purchased it, so that's cool. So, anyway, yeah. And I'll listen to it again. I'm enjoying the book, so yeah. it's not a bad purchase. Did we do the part with the the Baron and the gladiatorial ring? Yes. 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 Okay. That's, when, that's when Fader uh, Alpha puts. Um, that's what um, I thought. Um, yeah, I was just going to ask if that was that whole thing with uh, the the Duke and the whatever the Duke and the Count. The yeah. Count was as annoying as it was. Oh my God, it's it, it so bad in the it absolutely, it absolutely was in the text. <laughs> and in fact, I actually went to go and listen to the audiobook just to hear if it was as bad as the way that I can, that can I you one of you guys is that is is that exactly how they did it? Just a hum, it's, hum, it's, hum, it hum, is. much it is. Yeah. I feel like they could have done a better uh, job a, than just reading the letters out loud. Well, it was a little musical. It was like, hmm, rah, rah, rah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's terrible. Uh, <laughs> they they well, should have uh, pumped it through like the uh, auto auto tune so that. <laughs> yeah. There's well, a great so, description of it. like they cut, like he's being pushed through a mush something or other, right? Yeah. I don't remember exactly what, and that's oh, exactly yeah, how yeah. it sounds. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and, yeah, that was one of, one of uh, what the text does. I think that was one of Fade's um, little thought thought bubble yeah. things where he's like, he, he felt like his brain was getting turned to mush. Listen to this guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, and one of my questions pr- pertains to this. So why does the Count, Count Fenring, why does he intentionally sound like a buffoon except for when he's discussing business? So that was like, it's very clear that he's doing all the mumbly, you know, uh, right. type of stuff. But then as soon as he's down to business with the Baron in private or even talking to the lady, lady Fenring about, you know, her 
fornications with um, Fade. Right. Uh, <laughs> it, all, that, all that crap goes away. And so that was clearly very intentional. Is 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 he trying to like you know make people think that he's this this like idiot or something? The way that yeah. he talks. That's that would be it. my guess. Yeah, that, yeah, that's my best guess. I mean, the like, Baron just mentions it <laughs> that he he looks like a rabbit. Or acts like a rabbit, but uh, he looks, he looks, looks like, like a rabbit. Jason Sudeikis plays the Baron, uh, but yeah. uh, but but he's a killer. Um, so it's all I think an illusion or a, a distraction, so that people don't take him seriously. I mean, there was definitely some interesting stuff going on there with how, like, you know, it was this kind of duplicity with the um, Paul fights with Jameis, their little knife fight thing going on in the Fremen zone. And then you've got Fade fighting with the gladi- gladiator. So I really like that duplicity going on between those those two scenes, if you will. It was I thought it was interesting how, you know, the the fight with Jameis, Paul's fight with Jameis was sort of out of necessity. He didn't want to do it. He was he was just like, nah, I don't want to be a part of this, but he was called out and he had to. And then the fight with Fade is just this, you know, very showy and and they you know they talked about it as gladiatorial because I'm I'm sure it was trying to reference back to Roman times where that was what these you know all these people did was go and watch the violence the situation with that with the actual gladiator is you know they usually had slaves that would fight but this time around Thufur inserted a former Atreides warrior I think was what it said yeah this this was one of my questions do we think Thufur okay. is trying to make plans with fade on a level uh, another level outside of the plans with the baron and then also make his own plans hoping that maybe the uh, treaties guy will somehow find a way to to defeat uh fade do you think that there's a, a third layer going on there that was my initial thought the password or the the secret word that made the guy freeze was in place like that seems like it would be a good thing to leave out. Yeah, it was still rigged in that regard. But who knows, you know, maybe Thufur thought that it would be, before he even got to that point, this warrior would have been able to do something to fade. I don't know. I, I think I, I think you're you're definitely onto something because there's always plans within plans within plans, it seems. Yeah, yeah I, I don't doubt for a second that Thufur has a master plan to take down the Harkonnens at some point. I don't think that he can be reprogrammed the way that the Baron seems to think he can. Yeah. So the Baron's poisoning him, but he didn't tell him he's poisoning him? Correct. Right. He's poisoning him and giving him the antidote. Or he poisoned him. He's poisoned and and he's giving him the antidote daily. Yep. But it seems like you'd have more power over the person if you're like, hey, this happened. Do what I say or else. Then you run into a uh, a Dr. Yue situation, I feel like. And I don't think the Baron wants that. Like the Baron, I think, was had every intention of killing Yue from the get-go. Whereas with uh, Thufur, he wants to be able to use him. If he, uh, I feel like if he knows that there is a chance that the Baron could betray him, it's less likely that he'll do what the Baron wants him to do. He's a mentat, right? So he, he knows is. that the Baron's going to betray him, just a matter of when. Well, yeah. I think yeah. I think if the Baron tells him that he is being poisoned and and is receiving an antidote with his food, he would probably then try to make arrangements to get his antidote a different way. 
So I think the the surprise is kind of important because if he tries to run, he'll just die for he knows exactly what's going on. But if, if he gives a mentat time to think, OK, I've got a poison in me. Let me just try to figure out the, what the poison is. Let me try to figure out the antidote. Maybe I can work around this, which is something that a mentat is specifically designed to be able to figure out. So maybe there's a little bit of a advantage to not, him not knowing what's going on. I actually have a, another thought about the gladiatorial sequence. You mentioned, uh, Zach, that there's a parallel going on where they each fought a battle to the death. And I think the, the thing that I found interesting about that was the battle to the death, while unnecessary in a way w- between Paul and, and uh, Jameis, it wasn't necessary other than for honor or for pride or perhaps to prove that Jessica and Paul were who they were believed to be. But it was a real it was a real battle. It was a fair battle, more or less. Jessica did sort of implant a little fear. And then Cheney gave uh, Paul some uh, some information. But the battle that we see in the gladiatorial ring between Fade Rautha and the Atreides man was only partially unrigged, you know, in the in the favor of of the Harkonnens. And I thought that there was a cool another cool parallel, which is there's this illusion of grandeur and glory on the the city that the Harkonnens control, imaginatively named Harko. Uh, <laughs> and <laughs> well, it's that's not un it, it makes sense. Unprecedented. They're, yes. they're they're named after where they're they come from. from. Har- yes. Harko. They're the Harkonnens. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Earthling, I think. Uh, I think the count uh, and and his wife note that while they cleaned up the main thoroughfares and the uh, gladiatorial ring and made everything look festive, you could see Splashed the uh, paint on the walls. Exactly, yep. you could see the 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 rot underneath it when, mm-hmm. out, out in the outskirts. And when you saw the people, that was a parallel with the actual battle between Fade Rautha and, and his opponent. And it, it all appears to be this glorious thing, but really it's rotten to the core, yeah. which just in case you were wondering, the Harkonnens are bad. And yes, once again, <laughs> the Baron sees the beauty in a woman, an adult woman, only to think she reminds him of a young boy's neck. Yeah. So he's like, hmm, she is pretty hot in the way that a, a young boy is hot. Yeah, <laughs> Bad guys, definitely bad guys. Uh, what do you guys think was the most interesting character development in this section? I thought it was neat to get to know uh, Fader Alpha. Honestly, I don't like him, but we we got to learn more than just the Baron's insights about him. We got to see him and his thought process in the battle and how he was cunning, and um, of course, you know, stacked the deck in his favor. Matt, what did you? Th- who was your favorite character in this section? Uh, well, I'm in agreement with you. Um, I also like Stilgar and a bit more of the look into Freeman society. Yeah, it was neat to get to know how the Fremens work. I think they're a bunch of heartless assholes, but um, maybe living in the desert would do that to you. Yeah, after yeah many I, I, think I haven't the lived extremes. their life so. <laughs> Would do that to you. Yeah. You're water soft, Dave. I am. Sorry, I have, I have my of water. That's, that's for sure. I thought the whole thing with him either getting Jamis's wife as a slave for a year, or or as a actual relationship, you know, and and the children responsibility was an interesting wrinkle too. And also yeah. an interesting thing for Paul to be like, I don't, I don't really, I don't, I don't really want to do this. Uh, what do, what do I have to do here? I don't. I don't, I don't want to take you as my wife. Got my eye on uh, Liet Kynes' daughter at this moment. The elfin face, Cheney. Yeah. Oh, is she elfin face? I, I was elfin only mentioned face. 17 times. Yeah. Actually, that didn't really bother me, but it, at, the, at one point I was like, all right, gotcha. 
Like there's <laughs> there are other adjectives or maybe no adjectives works, you know. How many more faux pas are we going to get from Paul as he doesn't know the culture and the, the ways of the Fremen? Because we seem to learn about all of the ways of the Fremen by Paul doing things very strangely, you know, by asking Cheney to hold his water rings and shedding moisture for the dead and it all works out though doesn't it it's all it all is tilted towards his benefit everything yeah. he does that's incorrect they're like oh that means something very important thanks yeah. benny jesser <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think this was the big section of him not knowing what's going on so that we could learn about it and so he could learn about it yeah. i feel like we're we're getting to i think the next section is going to be the section where uh stuff starts kicking off because he knows what's going on and he's going to build his life with them but this was the sort of uh first impressions like like culture shock sections well we'll see maybe i'm sure there's more stuff that he's going to run into that he doesn't understand how to deal with he seems very against the his vision of the uh jihad in his name yeah and, yeah um do you do you think that he's He's doing it just be, you know, he's, he's against that because it, he doesn't want there to be so much bloodshed. Do you think there's, he's afraid of what that, what that future kind of means? Do you think that will really shape his ability to make decisions going forward by, by him, like always kind of going back to that in a way it kind of, it seems like it might make someone go nuts if they've, they've got this vision of the future and then they're kind of constantly trying to be careful of what they do to, to try and avoid that. That would drive someone nuts. Also, every time he has to ceremoniously partake in spice, it like kicks up his his future visions, which is interesting. Yeah, yeah it makes him think further on what can I do to avoid the 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 thing that I that I keep seeing. That's it's so hard to avoid. But we know that it's not always correct because like when they're first in the cave and before before the knife fight, uh, he gets to eat the spice-infused uh, chicken wing and then he sees his, his own death, but that doesn't come to fruition. So yeah. he knows that the visions are not always correct and not always going to happen exactly the way that he sees them. Yeah, it seems like it changes every time an event happens and then new pathways open up almost. That's how I'm sort of thinking of his pressions. Like he sees the possibilities and maybe some are tough to avoid like the jihad, but others will switch the moment a word is said or, or an event happens. What do you guys think the effect will be on the unborn child of Jessica with her sort of like mind meld with the old reverend mother when she sort of takes over. My understanding of what happened was she drank the uh, water of life, water of life. She drank the water of life and that combined her consciousness with the old reverend mothers, right? Yeah. Yeah. And also made her trip balls. Yes. Right. Of course. <laughs> but then she gains all of the knowledge and memories that the old reverend mother got, right? Yes. Yeah. The question is, does the unborn child also get that or does it mess the unborn child up rendering its mind useless or does it have no effect and i think the unborn child is going to get all of the consciousness from both jessica and the uh the reverend mother yeah that's my take what do you guys think I'm in agreement with you. I don't know how much of the consciousness the baby will get, but it will definitely have heightened consciousness. It's definitely a thing that's not normally done or ever done as far as, you know, the Reverend Mother is concerned. The other question I had related to this was, 
what do you think is the reason that she, the Reverend Mother says that a male child would die, whereas a female child would be able to handle it? Is that because this is only a job for a woman, the Reverend Mother, the Benny Gesserit? What's going on there? That whole skill set seems like it's definitely slanted towards the women. Like they were really nervous about Paul being taught that stuff. Yeah, I think that it's just in this world, men's minds aren't good at that. Do you think that the Reverend Mother is wrong and just assumes that if it was a boy child, it couldn't handle it or that uh, a boy child actually couldn't handle it? I think a boy child actually couldn't handle it. Do we have any women mentats? I don't think we've met any. No, that I know of. Just one of those things where like men's brains have been engineered to go this way and women's brains have been engineered to go that way. I don't know, Matt. This was written in the 60s, and they were pretty sophisticated on these things in those days, so um, seems unlikely. I, uh-huh. I'm sure Frank Herbert was part of uh, women's liberation, so. Yeah. Uh, oh, you go woke, you go broke, so. Yeah. Uh, That's men are what from I hear. Arrakis, women are from <laughs> Caliban. Caliban. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. I think that's right. <laughs> I think Frank Herbert, like he, I know that he was supposed to write a long article about sand dunes in Oregon. So he went and did it and never wrote the article, but then that's where he had the idea for Dune. He also liked doing (laughs) mushrooms. So I think it's just like, he's like, oh, this, this, you know, all the things around me, you know, let's do hallucinogenics and we'll do dunes and this will be great. I don't know. I don't know how detailed his thoughts were as far as gender politics. He definitely had some opinions on what what the world building for his for his novel should be because it's extremely detailed. No shortage of gender roles, and they're not they're not necessarily the traditional gender roles as as we know them. And he's got his ideas that he use uses specifically for this. Like the women are by far the most powerful uh, as the Bene Gesserit, but they're still put into sort of more of a patriarchal hierarchy. Right. And they're also, of course, feared as women who with power are, it seems like. Right. I thought all the Fremen stuff with the water was really interesting, like how they're so precise about the amounts and, um, and they have their own sort of uh, water is like the currency, but they have like this representation of it with these rings. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But I was wondering if that's how they how they do things. And when you go and you fight somebody and kill them, you get to have their water and essentially their water wealth. Do they have laws or something where that stops? You know, if, if some Fremen got really greedy, couldn't he just go on a killing rampage and then take everybody's money? And like, did that did that happen in the early days? And then they came up with laws to stop that. My understanding is that if it's in an honorable combat, then you get their you get their water. Yeah. So mm-hmm. like Jameis and Paul had their their sanctioned fight, their battle. Tahadi, I think is what it was called. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> and therefore, the victor of that got the other person's water. And I'm pretty yeah. sure that any criminal would be immediately murdered and stripped of his water in this yeah. society. Like yeah. they don't screw around. Mm-hmm. So I think if you killed somebody when you weren't supposed to, they'd be like, cool, we're just going to kill you now and give the water to either the, the widow or, or the tribe. Yeah, there doesn't seem to be a detailed court system. Everything's brutal. Like that's, yeah. that's, the, that's their environment and that's their, their society. Savages. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they're definitely presented as that in, in a in a certain way. Yeah. They are seen as that by the the Empire and the Conans, but not yeah. so much by us by the Atreides. Strange and brutal, but maybe not savages. Right. 
I thought it was interesting when um, Jameis, after Paul killed Jameis, they made note about how they broke his Chris knife. I was wondering if there's some specific purpose to that or if it was just sort of symbolic as, you know, that knife was that person's. Why didn't they give that to Paul? Yeah. Yeah, I think it was a, a bit of ceremony. I don't know if they said he'll need it in, in the next life or I don't know that they get much into detail about what they believe happens after you die. Uh-huh. Yeah, I don't remember anything. The, you're taken away with the next moonrise, but beyond that, I don't think they go into any, at all where you, where you go. Mm-hmm. I guess they did say that Jameis was happy. You know, there was a lot of moisture in the air in in the one place, so therefore Jameis was happy. Yeah, yeah, that implies some kind of some sort of post death something yeah, yeah. presence. Mm-hmm. Jameis's ghost was peeing on them. <laughs> yeah. Giving them I just, moisture. I just find they'd, a, they'd be down and be like, cool, moisture. let's collect it. Yeah. 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 I Put find it in my the, thigh pouch. The Chris knife stuff really fascinating just because, you know, it's this weapon that's came from the Shai Hulud, the, the uh, sandworm, as basically a, a tooth, a part of the tooth of the, the sandworms. Which the question is, how the frick did they get those, you know? But then that's that's a lot of questions of like, how do they get the water of life? How do they, you know, it's just a fascinating object that, you know, they make such a big deal out of it and they have all these rituals and customs, but it's it's all kind of mysterious. You don't You don't know a lot about it. Um, I did. I did look up Chris Knife's on like some Dune Wikipedia type of thing and uh, fandom or whatever wiki. It was talking about how there's two different kinds. There's a there's a kind that is like stable, and then there's a kind that's not stable. And the kind that's not stable is what most people have. It has like this energy thing that when it's with the person, it can't leave the person's body or whatever for a certain amount of time, or it will lose its stability and, and break. So there's there's some very interesting stuff going on with those with those things uh, and their relation to the sandworms so maybe Jamis had an unstable one so it didn't matter once right. he died it was going to it wasn't going to be useful to anybody else anyway yeah once his energy was gone it wasn't going to be useful unless it passed on because like that's what the i think was happening with the the one with mapes mapes gave it to jessica and that one I, well i mean i didn't say if it was stable or not stable but um my my assumption was that one wasn't stable and and it had to stay with someone or it was going to lose its, its integrity and and fall apart so during the um when the count is talking to the baron the baron you know he's he's doing his stuff right but then after that whole scene like after the fight they go to the count and the uh lady fenring lady fenring so the count and lady fenring are talking but they're doing their humming talking and they use the same i don't know if you recognize this matt but they use the same sound effects as they did when it was kinds kinds father talking to him in his head Oh, I didn't notice that. No, they had that weird um, vo- voice filter and and uh, mum uh, humming noise and all that stuff. When when was this? What conversation did they do this with? When the count and the lady Fenring were talking after the uh, gladiator battle about yes. her seducing uh, yes. Figueroa and carrying, yes. carrying his child. Yeah, and th- they were. My impression was they were talking in their humming dialect or whatever so that hmm. it couldn't be detected and yeah. that's why that's why they it got the special sound effect treatments i i, I thought initially it must have been the cone of silence or whatever when fenring and and the baron were talking yes that would have an effect but it, it wasn't that section 
Interesting. Yeah, I'm no. not sure. Obviously, that wasn't written on the page, so I I, never, yeah. I I didn't think about that possibility. I wonder what they were trying to do when they were when they were making those decisions. The part that I listened to was very strange. How it jumped it jumped from just the narrator guy talking and doing all the voices to then the play version where the Baron and the the Count were talking with different voices. Yeah, I'm yeah. I'm sure it's infinitely more expensive to voice all of it than it is to have the narrator do the voices for some of it. But yeah. man, when they do the actual voices, it's so much better. Hmm. I feel like there were more voices in the first part. Yeah, it seems like it. It's just unfortunate, especially when the narrator has to do the female voices and he's just he's got he takes a higher tone or or is, or is more breathy or, you know, he he does fine. Like it's not, it's not bad, but the actual voice acting actors doing the voices in the play style is so much better that when you don't have that, it just, it's kind of lacking. Well, I'd imagine it's way easier to keep things straight in your head, especially with his weird technique of jumping into the the thoughts of characters, paragraph to paragraph, you know? Yep. Yeah. And like the Baron's. (laughs) <laughs> the, the narrator's voice for the Baron is fine, but the voice actor for the Baron is so good. He's just, Sounds he's like this, James Earl Jones almost. Yeah, he's got he's that deep, deep, really booming, deep voice. And, and you booming. know he's a bad guy. You just know <laughs> yeah. from this awesome voice. You're like, I'll forgive the the, the boy diddling, but <laughs> this voice screams bad guy to me. <laughs> so that's about it for this episode uh tell us what you think of dune in the comments like and subscribe if you're into that kind of thing if you want more content like this you can find everything we've done at 64tacos.com and if you really liked it go to buymeacoffee.com slash 64tacos and you can buy us a taco thanks for listening i caught it on audio So, Matt. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. I have some questions. Okay. <laughs> I would like Matt to pronounce how he heard all the names that he wrote down. <laughs> is it is it Cheney in the recording or is it yeah, Chani? Yeah, it's Cheney. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and this, is, this, is, this is my right, my synopsis you're read, looking at. Oh, is it, yeah. is it yours? Yeah, I wrote oh. this. Okay. How is uh, Jamis? Is it Jamis? Is that how it's they pronounce Jam- it? Jamis. Jamis. Yeah. Okay. Jamis. Jamis. And then, uh, yeah, okay. That's, uh, that's I still, think. Uh, and Stilgar. Well, yes. yes, obviously there's no D in Stilgar. Um, oh, I mean, is it? It's obvious if you're yeah. reading, I guess, because okay. you can see the letters. But it's funny how when you're listening to it, sometimes you, you know, how they say it is <laughs> how, uh, how confusing. Is his, how is Madib written? Mwah. M U A D apostrophe D I B, right? Wadib. Oh. Yeah. And how is Paul spelled? <laughs> Normal. P A. Normal style. I don't, I don't feel comfortable. I really like uh, Faye Ralph. <laughs> King Ralph. Yeah. <laughs> That's what it says. What, yeah. what is, how is it written? How's Fade Ralph written? F E Y D. So that's, then, that's fine. And then uh, what's the second part? R A U T H A. Ralpha. Ralpha. Just th, not fuh.
Fade Ralpha. <laughs> yeah, Dave, Dave here, here's what he wants to hear. <laughs> he's hear like, Haley, he's, uh, he's Bruce Willis in The Sixth Sense. He hears yeah. what he wants to <laughs> He doesn't know All he's right. dead. Now so. that we've spent 20 minutes on how to pronounce things, <laughs> what do we got for uh, questions? 